It's Guys Guy Radio. Here's your host, Robert Manny. Welcome, everybody, to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny, hosting the show where men and women can be at their best and everyone wins. Guys Guys Radio. Wow, we've got a great show today. Our special guest is Tony Rodriguez. He's joining us for part two in his discussion about the secret space program that Tony claims to have been a part of for what's called a 20 and back, where he was recruited as a 10-year-old into the secret space program. He did some training in the United States, went to the moon, did some more training, worked in, on Mars and Ceres, which is a planetary object that's close by to Mars, and uh, worked in other areas in space and came back and had a mind wipe and returned to his 10-year-old self. It's a mind-blowing story. You may have seen Tony as well as uh, some other quote-unquote whistleblowers on uh, Gaia, and uh, the whole Secret Space program information is out there for everybody now. So what we like to do on Guys Guys Radio, hey, we've talked about everything from sex to the Supreme Court and now the Secret Space program. I bring you information. You determine if it works for you. And my job is to just get that information out there in a way that's digestible, that's uh, an introductory in a way. I don't go too, too deep on, on subjects. I don't get into the machinations of the current political system right now, but I do get to issues and I bring information out there for our listeners, for your edification, for your consideration, and then you determine what you want to do with it. I'm the conduit, though. I reach out to a lot of guests. A lot of guests are now reaching out to me, and we've got some sensational stories that we're going to share with you on Guys Guys Radio. So, as I mentioned, Tony Rodriguez is our special guest today. We did an hour with him a couple of weeks ago. This is part two, because to cover that 20-year period, it takes some time. A lot happened to Tony during his 20 years in the secret space program, from his training uh, some early abuse he, he experienced be- prior to his training. It's interesting about Tony that he wasn't recruited into the program as a, kind of a leader, if you will, or, or as an empath. He was kind of a regular guy to be kind of used as cannon fodder, if you will, for the military and also just as a worker bee. So he comes to the program and comes to Guys Guys Radio with a a different perspective than some of the other quote-unquote whistleblowers that you may have seen on uh, some of the shows about ufology that are on either uh, traditional cable or uh, Gaia and some other networks. But Tony's story is unique. I think everybody who listens to it can relate in a way because just imagine how it would feel to be suddenly awoken and find out you are being transported into a program that you know nothing about, and for the next 20 years, you're going to be serving in a capacity that you know nothing about, basically doing work for an operation that you know little about, you're on an as-needed-to-know basis, and it'll change and reshape your life and your perspective on everything. I think the most important thing I learned when I talked to Tony was that throughout all of this, throughout all of the abuse he experienced, he still maintains some spiritual aspect to his life. So that's a good takeaway, and I was really glad to hear that. So with no further ado, let's bring out our very special guest, Tony Rodriguez, and we're going to get into part two of his tales of his experiences with the Secret Space Program. 
Robert Manny's The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. All right, Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. As I mentioned, we're doing part two of a very special show. It's almost like a series now with the Secret Space Program. We're going to talk to Tony Rodriguez again today. When we left off, uh, we were talking about the Secret Space Program. Tony did what's called a 20 and back. So 20 years of his life he gave to, I guess, our country and the alliance or whatever you want to call it. Tony will explain it to us. And then he came back and he gets his mind wiped basically but he gets those years back and like some other folks in the secret space program tony started to have i guess some flashbacks or some memories and then things started to come together so last time when we talked tony took us through how he was uh kind of i'll say quote unquote recruited he was kind of lured into the secret space program kind of placed in it unlike some others who were recruited for specific roles Tony was actually, I guess you could say, almost being punished by being put in there. He was sent to Seattle for a while, and then to, I believe, Peru. Then he went to the moon. Then he went to Mars. And we left off there where Tony had actually been used for some battles with some insectoids on Mars. He lost a limb, and the limb, through technology, grew back. It sounds like a lot. Let me just set this up before... Tony gets on by saying, you know, on Guys Guys Radio, I bring you information that I think is important to just hear about. You make the determination. If you believe it, if you don't believe it, if it's something you vibe with, whatever. If you go on Gaia, the uh, cable network, there's a whole bunch of series on the secret space program. You can learn a lot about it. And then you can determine for yourself. I've got Tony on here today. He's going to get into more detail about what we talked about last time. And then it's up to you folks. So, Tony Rodriguez, welcome back to Guys Guys Radio. It's been a couple weeks, but I'm so glad you're here. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, Robert. Uh, glad to be back. Uh, due to scheduling, um, it was hard to get back really quick. So no worries. We had a good time last time. I covered a lot of ground. Good. So as I mentioned, where we left off, um, you were stationed on Mars, and uh, you were being used for some battles where they'd send you and some other guys out to kind of test out how to deal with the, some of the, the locals, if you will. And in this case, the locals were like giant insects. In one battle that we discussed, you had lost a limb, and then I think the limb grew back. I'm, uh, let's start from there and then just take us through kind of what happened in, in these ensuing months and years during the program for you. What was your experience? Sure, I'll try to be uh, quick about it. So we were a program that was a support soldier program. They were trying to get numbers. Uh, rather than having soldiers that were very expensive and took a long time to train, uh, they were trying to get guys that were less qualified to be uh, to use a strategy that they could use and be uh, combat effective. And so we were a support soldier. We did uh, my program. I only did three missions, and then we had we had, had contact where we had casualties and I was wounded. I was carried back by soldiers back to the base. I lost consciousness at the doorway. And when I woke up, I had my arm and my foot back. And so I don't know the, the medical uh, procedure that took place. Uh, it was kind of classified. They, you know, my, my position in the programs was a need to know. You know, 
Everybody asks, mm-hmm. why don't you, how did you not know that? Well, because I was technically, I mean, I basically, I was a slave. I was slave labor. And so they didn't have the, they didn't have the need or the gumption to uh, explain what was going on to me uh, whenever they did something. So that happened quite a bit. There was a lot of, there's a lot of technical stuff that I don't know because uh, I just didn't need to. Okay. Did you, you were aware though in the battle uh, with these insectoids that you had lost a limb? Yes. I think, yeah, it was okay. Very, so then, very, then, then you woke up. I guess you went into probably went into shock at that point. You woke up and your limb had been re- regrown. Yes. Or replaced somehow. Did you know how? Uh, Long, I know you're on a need-to-know basis, but uh, as a human, did you ask questions like, "What happened? How did? The, how long have I been here? What happened with my arm? Were you allowed to ask that stuff, or you were trained sure. like just to keep your mouth shut?" Yeah, well, I was debriefed um, after the fact, and um, you know they did explain that. Uh, I forget what they called it. They called the bed. The bed had had a name. But they did explain that there were machines that basically put my arm back. And when I asked, I asked, how does that work? How do they do that? They just, you know, don't worry about it and go. And so the medical, the medical area on the base, the base was underground. The medical area and the, the armory, uh, if you will, area were on the first floor, you know, basically Mm -hmm. uh, that area. Um, We were staying on the fifth floor down, you know, it was five stories down. And that was like like an administration. There was a cafeteria. The main cafeteria was there, and the administrative office. And so, I didn't get a whole lot of time. I wanted to stay and look around in that area because that's where sure. all, that's where all the tech was. Mm-hmm. That first floor. That's where the active personnel. It was an abandoned base, mm-hmm. and all the people that were working there were there. Okay. But um, I spent probably you know, in terms of a morning, I was they, I was done by nine a.m. They took me out of there. Wow. Okay. So tell us a little bit about, you know, just your day-to-day life there. You were, you know, used for different missions, had some training. What was it, what were the quarters like? Did you have any type of socialization with the other folks who were doing the same things that you done? Was there men and women? Were there different races? Were there other entities that were part of the program that you worked with? Uh, Tell us about that. So later on, after I had been, I guess, sold off to Ceres Colony, it was like that. It was a bigger colony. And there were ETs, there were men and women. It was, you know, it was more of a city area. That place, that base on Mars was just soldiers and uh, about a dozen or so guys like myself. And they kept us uh, locked away. So after the program was canceled, we had we had a good six weeks of nothing. It was just lame duck. We didn't even have any work to do. And we wanted to do something for We wanted to help out, but there was really nothing for us to do. We just kind of sat there and we had our meals. Okay, um, now... Let me ask you this, Tony. So you went to Ceres for our listeners. Where where is Ceres? How did you get there? How were you inform? How, how how did they kind of inform you as to? Okay, guys, you've been sitting around for a couple of weeks now. We've got something for you. You're going to go here. How did that all take place? So right. So they said what happened was we stayed we stayed in that base for about six weeks with nothing to do. Then uh, they came. A small transport came. It had windows. We had to fly at a high altitude. They did not have air superiority. They were there were people flying on it that they were talking about that they hated flying uh, because the airspace wasn't safe. That there were other uh, programs and ETs that were uh, dangerous for them to fly near. They flew us to a bigger city, and uh, I, I want to say a capital city, 
and it was a uh, another uh, underground area on Mars. Series is part of Mars, then. Oh no! I, well, I'm saying I'm explaining how I got to series. Okay. We went to that other area. Was more there was more civilians um, there. It wasn't a, a strictly military place, and uh, I was retrained. So they, basically, I took aptitude tests. It was a tall white and. Uh, ET that kept, we were all in a big room. It looked like a computer room, computer lab. Uh, we took aptitude tests and they determined a job for me to do. And then I went through training for uh, ship repair and uh, just protocols on how to use tool, various tools. And uh, a lot of it was fire suppression uh, classes. Uh, but anyhow, after that, it was went on for a month or so, uh, a couple months. Uh, I had my own place. I had my own little apartment. It had a, its own bathroom, which was luxurious to me compared to all the places I had been at this, up to this point. And um, one day, without any war- without any kind of briefing or warning, and I, instead of a uh, uh, a lower ranked officer who came and got me every morning and took me to the to the school, the computer lab place, somebody else came and got me. A guy in plain clothes, and we, he took me somewhere. He said, "Oh no, we're going this way." somewhere I'd never been before we walked in it was a it was luxurious looking I mean the construction was was uh, artistic it wasn't your basic like the moon bases were very basic the forward base that I was at was a very basic place a little bit nicer than the moon it looked more like a like an elementary school kind of construction the, the base that was abandoned that I was on okay. but this when he took me here it looked more like a shopping mall um, construction and um, we went in and it was basically a train station and uh, we were waiting. There were hundreds of people there and a train pulled in. It was blue, it was white and blue, it had dark blue stripes on it. We got on and I believe this is the train that had the, uh, like a bar that came down over your lap mm-hmm. and it didn't look safe, but it was like some of those old roller coaster rides. That's what I was a, thinking. Mm-hmm. A, it was exactly like that. It was exactly like that. And the seats were facing forward. Um, there were civilians, there were guys in suits, fancy suits, and there were guys in uniform. Um, there were soldier people, there were other uh, younger guys like me. It was a pretty big, good-sized train, and it was packed. Uh, it- let, me, let me ask you a question. So the people who were around, just because I'm trying to you know, ask questions that if I was listening, I'd say, you know what? Sure. I wonder what that was like. So when you say there was people wearing suits and stuff, this is like suits and ties. Were they speaking English? Were there men and women? How, yes. You know, was it like Western culture or what, what was it like? Were they humans, old humanoids or what? Yeah, they were humans and they were speaking English and they were, um, you know, they kind of, they looked more like, uh, United States citizens, mm-hmm. but they, I don't think that they were, were strictly, uh, people from the United States. I think there was more of a, of a global, uh, Do you think they were humans or like, they were they, absolutely humans. They were okay. absolutely humans, just like okay. you and me. All right. Yes. So, so this was on Mars in the bigger city. Um, so when the train started, it lifted off. It, it lifted, it bounced up and was floating. And you could feel it because it got smooth. It rolled for a ways and then lifted. And then it went into a tunnel. And at some point there was a like a like a static electricity, like a poof, you know, a flash. And uh, you, it was disorienting where you would be uh, a little dizzy. And then the train immediately started to decelerate. And... Um, it eventually got slow enough and it's quit. It went back onto the wheels and came out of the tunnel and everybody got off. It was a very short ride, uh, just a few minutes. And when we got off, the construction was back to being like on the moon, basic square construction, concrete, 
and um, you know, not not artistic like it was on Mars. And the dirt was mm-hmm. different. There was dirt, and the concrete, everything was a completely different color, more of a gray color. Um, and at this point, when I when I walked out, so they were giving us water after you went through that on that train. Uh, it depleted your electrolytes or something where you could get sick. You had to drink water, and so they had water there as soon as you got off. They gave us just a gulp. Uh, I remember watching, being jealous of the people that were more like citizens. They were having like a good size amount of water that they could drink. But they just gave us a quick gulp because that's really all you needed for your. It's your electrolytes, some electrolyte problem. And um, they, we immediately went over to a hangar bay, like a big hangar, like right around the corner, where it opened up to, and it was full of soldiers. And it was like an orientation day for an army, and they were Germans. And this, so this was on Ceres Colony. And um, Where is that? Where is Ceres Colony? Ceres is a small dwarf planet that's in between Mars and the asteroid belt. It's right on the edge of the asteroid belt. It's okay. about it's a very small planet. It's only about 580 miles, I think, in diameter. And um, it has water. So there's a lot. It's spelled C-E-R-E-S. Mm-hmm. And it's pronounced Ceres, if anybody you know wants to look up. But... Um, the colony that I was there, I lived there for for another at least a decade. I want to I want to say about twelve years, but uh, I lived there that long after after that point of that first day. And uh, what I discovered was that there were many towns that were built all around the inside, the interior of the planet, and they're all connected by trains. Okay, all right. Um, it's Guys Guys Radio. Your host Robert Mann. And we've got a Secret Space Program survivor Tony Rodriguez with us. We're talking about his time. Now he's on series. So looking back from Mars, I guess it seemed to you, and it must be seem like it is now that there's a lot of things going on on Mars right now, and it sounds like there's a lot of thing going, a lot of things going on on series. Uh, you know, when you when we talk about disclosure and stuff, I just saw in the paper yesterday where they're saying, oh, they're you know, they actually found signs of life on, on Mars. And it was like buried in the buried in what I was reading. It wasn't like page one or anything like that. So it seems like they're trying to get the word out there. But so all the stuff, in, to your knowledge, is still going on. Correct. Yes. Right. Okay. And, and when I, at the time that I left was right around the year 2000 when I, when I went back and uh Ceres Colony was under heavy construction. It wasn't just a few projects here and there. They were heavily constructing new buildings. Okay, what are they doing? Caverns. So what's going on there? Well, it's an entire colony. It's an entire, it's its own society in itself. It's a breakaway colony. The okay. Ceres Colony Corporation. Okay, and what do they What do? They do? And did they interact with uh, Earth? Uh, or they, yes. they, they yeah. interact more with outer, beyond Earth? Or are they doing trade deals with uh, our planet now How, uh, uh, yes to all of the above or what yes so we were we routinely picked up cargo at a place called diego garcia in the indian ocean mm-hmm. we also dropped cargo off on to underground places in antarctica and in south america and we would pick up cargo and take it and trade it with et species and vice versa um basically when they needed raw materials or goods they could come and they would come we would go to diego garcia and they'd load them up there were times they needed uh, military equipment and uh, things for support nature that they would trade, you know, with other species, other planets, and we would go there and, and, and load it up. There was a manifest. It was all tallied, but, um, you know, it's a story in itself, but I don't think they were paying for it. I think that, you know, the black, our black ops money is paying for that. 
Okay. Now, when you say there were Germans, there's been a lot of uh, reports, if you will, about after World War II, there was a breakaway. Forces from Germany went to Antarctica, made some deals with aliens, uh, reptilians, and uh, have been kind of flying around in the universe and creating, uh, you know, their own destiny, if you will, and um, controlling a lot of things that are going on down here. Were you uh, being told about this? Did you surmise this? Could you guys talk to each other? How did you kind of put the pieces together? Well, that's exactly the, that was exactly the situation. So they referred to Antarctica as the high command, and throughout the solar system, not the entire solar system, but throughout the solar system, there are German colonies. And the Ceres colony was one of the more advanced ones. The Germans mm -hmm. originally had found ruins there, an abandoned base that some other ETs had built long ago and started to convert them to more human-looking mm -hmm. um, structures. I have some artwork that I had artists do uh, for a few places there in Ceres Colony. but um, And they lived, they coincided, they lived there with two full-time species that were inhabitants of Ceres Colony, other um, ETs. One was like a nine-foot-tall uh, humanoid, nine feet, and then really wide hips. And then the others were about seven feet tall, and they were skinny with different different proportioned, uh, bigger eyes and, and different proportioned arms. And um, they tended to do all of the ship maintenance. I think that they were trading technology with those uh, mm -hmm. species and they were, uh, for whatever, I don't really, I'm not, I wasn't privy to the arrangements. That okay. Were so um, did you report into, I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Did you report into uh, ETs or humanoids or, uh, and did you get your orders uh, telepathically, or was it verbalized, or how did you, how did you guys communicate, and who, and who was communicating with you? Well, so I worked on a couple different ships while I was on Ceres Colony. Uh, one of them, I was just down in the bottom of it. It was an old submarine that was converted into a starship, and I was just maintenance with a few other guys that were uh, basically slaves like myself. So I didn't have any privy. And that went on for a good, my first eight years until that ship was decommissioned. I was promoted and became a, a cargo engineer and put on a more modern ship that looked more like a seed, like, you know, like pointed at the front and rounded at the back. Mm -hmm. And that one I did have, I did get to the point where I was in mission briefings, but they would speak in German and they had translator technology. Um, they could flip a switch and I could understand what they were saying and vice versa. I did not learn German and they did not quit speaking. They didn't learn English. Okay. speak with me they could flip a switch and there were areas of the ship where the translator tech was always on okay they, we would go to jupiter the the we would go from series colony to jupiter and that's how they would make contact with other species kind of like a uh, like a bulletin board system where they would see what was listed for sale or what was available and they would go mm -hmm. and then we would fly there and make try to make an arrangement and our ship's mission was to trade for technology goods for tech was the, was the ship's mission, period. They were trying to get advanced technology by any means necessary. So the, what were they trading? Raw minerals or things like that? Yeah. Or gold? Every, or what? Everything they could get. People? Anything people would get got traded. We did intercept. We stole people from one mm -hmm. colony to the other. Um, they traded pharmaceuticals. Uh, there are, they had, but at the end of my stay, they had converted a huge area that was a... Um, like a storage, like a warehouse area mm -hmm. off of the hangar. They had converted that to huge centrifuges that were mixing up chemicals to make pharmaceuticals because it was a, they had found something that was valuable to a, to a certain market. They had found okay. a market for it. Okay. 
Beyond beyond the trade, was there any? Uh, did you notice in your time any altruism going on, or was it was it all about greed? Was it about making the universe and the planet a better place, and and anything that was quote unquote humanitarian, or was it was it strictly you know trade? It was strictly my ship's mission was strictly trade. There were times when we did support things. They had there was warfare. And there was a time when we ran support. We took supplies, and we would drop them off in the dead of space uh, near the Orion Nebula, near the trapezium in the Orion Nebula. We would go there, and we would take boxes and just put them out into space where they would sit there. And another uh, another warship would come and pick them up. Pick them up. And we did that for quite some time. There was mm-hmm. a it was, there was a war situation. We were a support group for another for uh, for a. Uh, a fleet, a military operation. Okay. So now you're a young guy and you're going through all of this. What were you thinking and feeling when you had the reality of like, wow, uh, you know, this is not what I you know, was expecting when I got into this program. I mean, what was it like? I was in shock the first couple weeks that I was on series. When I went from Mars to series, that was the first I had been told about any kind of train, any kind of transport like that. I, you know, I hadn't been told that I just got on it and rode there and popped out on another planet. I was completely in shock and completely, um, you know, uh, uh, disoriented right. from the whole thing, from the whole move. So what happened was they took me to an area where basically it was like, I was with thousands of other guys. I had my own little cell. It was like a prison, but it wasn't, there was no door. There was no bars. I could come and go. If I had somewhere to go, I could come and go as I please, as long as I showed up to work. Um, was there places to go? Did there places to socialize? Did you have alcohol? Did you sure, have women? Did you have gambling? Did you have sports? Did you have movies? There. All that was there, but I was a slave. So I was a lower. So later on when I did get the freedom to move about and I did explore the colony and go to places, when I went to the nicer areas, it was very humiliating to be a lower caste person of that society. Mm-hmm. Like I did not want to go to, you take a shopping mall. And, you know, I was a slave. I wore a collar. I had a suit that was it was obvious. And people would just push you to the side. Like, not everybody was mean. And a lot of people were decent. But there was, now and then, it was like I was subject to being, you know, if I was waiting in line and somebody else, get out of here, go to the back of the line. And then mm-hmm. go to the back of the line. And go, you know, like, it was humiliating. So I, I avoided that. There was a red light district. I ended up going there and mm-hmm. being welcome because there were other slaves there that were sex workers. Mm-hmm. Um what I wanted to say was that my fir- my very first day, so after I got off the train, the next day they screwed up. And instead of putting me on the train from the barracks where I was to the, the hangar to report to my ship, they didn't, nobody recognized me or knew what I was. I got mixed in and I ended up going to the mines. I went with the rest of the guys that were miners. And I worked a day, my very first day there, I worked a day in the mine. Mm-hmm. They were looking, I, and I, I remember asking them, you know, and I was okay with it. I looked around thinking I could do these jobs, and it was a very advanced mining process, but it was dirty, you know, and there was a lot of manual labor, but they had machines that were, they had a, they had a machine that there was a, a red light would come on when they fired it, just so people knew, and a red light would aim it, but, you know, there was a laser that aimed where it was, but that was just for aiming, it wasn't actual, it was a sound, ultrasound, sonic, or something. Got it. Some kind of thing that would pulverize the rocks and bring down the wall, but they would mine in the microgravity and then clear out those rocks in the microgravity and then inst- quickly install 
uh, an archway support and then uh, gravity plating flooring. Okay. Let's uh, okay. Let's uh, let's fast forward just uh, due to time. I want to make sure we get your whole story out here. So uh, you were there for ten years or so. How did you kind of uh, you get to the end towards getting towards the end of your um, uh, time? Do you put in the twenty and back? What what was that like? And how did you had the program end for you? And then how did they do the kind of turnover back to Earth? So I had done well for myself as a from the point of being having no freedom and absolutely no friends or any kind of relationships, it was a very long, the very first eight years were, were uh, miserable for me socially. I had done well and I advanced to the point where I had girlfriends, I had friends, and I was able to move around. I had places that I went. Um, what happened was we were on a mission and it was a, um, it was a combat situation and I disobeyed a direct order and I was demoted. My last six months or so, I, I instead of taking me away, demoting me and taking me off my job that I did, they mm-hmm. gave me another job. So the ship would go out, we'd work our eight-hour day, and when we got back into the into the hangar bay, I had to stay there and keep working and do another job, mm-hmm. which was manual labor of moving, actually moving the cargo around. It was it was brutal. Um, I didn't get a lot of sleep. I, they cut me off of any money. I couldn't travel anywhere. I went. I did that. I went straight to bed and. I, that was my last six months. It was a custom there that people, everybody knew there, the people that were in a 20 and back, that were going back a lot. Everybody knew about it. Not everybody, the local Germans were not in mm-hmm. that situation. They lived there and they did 20 and backs themselves, but they stayed there. Their okay. service could kind of continue. So it was but, a custom that mm-hmm. the last, uh, some guys got it a couple weeks, but the last few days that everybody would do your work for you mm-hmm. to give you an easy, your last couple days there, they knew you were going back and they would announce it and everybody would do your job for you okay. so that it was easy. And I Got didn't it. get any of that. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, it's Guys Guys Radio, your host, Robert Manny. We're talking to Tony Rodriguez of the Secret Space Program. Great discussion here. It's really mind blowing. So I, I hope you're enjoying it. So, Tony, so now that you're going to go back, you're, you're at the end. What happens? How does that work? So quite a bit happens. So at that time. I had a girlfriend, and I was madly in love with her, and I did not want to leave. And so my time came, and, and again, being demoted, I didn't get to see her and say goodbye. And so I I was thinking of ways to stay. I was thinking of hiding or hiding out or going somewhere and trying to stay there longer, but um, it was absolutely not possible to do. Um, uh, an officer came and got me one morning. I got ready to go like I was going on the train to work. And an officer was waiting there. There was like a gateway that left, mm-hmm. that went from the locker room area. There was a cafeteria when you came out of there, you know, where all, all of us were, the slave labor. And there was a gateway you went through that was tra- where the trains would get you. And there was an officer waiting there. And I went with him and we rode on a separate train and went to an area of the hangar. And then we walked along a long catwalk and he, he talked about me. You know, he kind of, um, you know, he told me uh, that I had no business disobeying the orders. And we talked about the incident. And uh, he said not to worry about it. And I said, I'm going to remember this. You guys are going to, I'm not going to be one of the ones that forget. I'm going to remember this. I want to remember this. And he said, look, go back to your life and forget about all this. He's like, find yourself a good German woman and settle down and have some kids and just live a quiet life, a peaceful life. And don't worry about any of this. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be, it's just going to be trouble if you, if it's to be a nuisance to you. 
And he's, you know, that was like the last few things he said to me. And then he put me on a disc. I walk across a, an umbilical and it was a disc. And there was a human German pilot and a reptile pilot. And I went in the disc. You could see the engine room. And then you go around and right, the cockpit was to the left, like on the lower part of the disc. Mm-hmm. And there was a staircase that went up to a circular room that was the top of it. It was a big circular room. And there was another uh, eight or ten guys like me that were going back to the moon that were on their return. Mm-hmm. And that was like a good six-hour flight. It was an older craft, so it was slower. And it was a good six hours, six, six seven hours back to the moon. And I remember pacing. It was carpeted. It was grimy. And I remember pacing back and forth thinking, I'm telling myself, I'm not going to forget this. I'm not going to forget. I'm going to remember. I'm going to remember. And I remember that was kind of like how I went back. And then one of the guys had came, wasn't from Sirius Colony. He was from another colony and kind of connected on that flight. He was a, it was a black, he was an African-American or, you know, he's a black man. And he, he said some, he was cursing at the pilot. He was yelling. And I said, Whoa, calm down. You're going to get in trouble. And he said, what are they going to do? They have to put us back by law. This is today is the day. They have, they have today to put us back by law. So there's nothing they're going to do. They're not going to pull me aside and hurt me. They're not going to do anything to me. He said, you hear me down there? You hear me? And he was yelling at him. And I kind of took that to heart. So when I, when we got back to the moon, they, I don't know what it was. They had some kind of tech where they could put you in a, like a, like a hypnotic state, mm-hmm. you know? And so when I left the disc, you know, I was kind of in a hypnotic state and then would wake up where they were giving me uh, procedures. They would, it was like a big room. It was a big series of rooms. Think about it like a doctor's office. When you go to a doctor's office, uh, okay. they have a bunch of connecting rooms and a few hallways about that size. And in each room, there was a machine, they were open towards each other, but they had machines that would program you. There were different different ones, and that, that's what uh, Jason Rice referred to as parting gifts. Mm-hmm. And they were giving you, there was one that, um, you know, it made you forget everybody's face that you saw while you were there. They were specifically targeting that area of your brain, those memories. Okay. Just the faces, so that most of the faces you think back, you see a blur in the memory. There okay. was another one that they tried to program. It was subliminal, subconscious programming, where if you saw a spaceship or you like if you encountered a UFO, that you would see a a, uh, a pirate ship. That you would associate things that when you started to remember, that okay. would associate things like a Peter Pan ship. Okay, so then the, in terms of the aging, so you had aged along this. Now you had mentioned in our first show that you think that they used a clone version of you, and then they took your consciousness and then put it back into the Tony that you were. Is that right. correct? Okay. Right. Okay. So at that time of that procedure, where they were deleting memories, there were different versions of different areas, different memory types that they were deleting. So you would go to one machine and go through a process. Mm-hmm. And they go down there. This was before the age reversal. So at the time, I would have been 30 years old, okay. you know, in my body that I was. And I was combative during that process. I, I did. They told me to sit up the stairs. I said, no, I'm not. You know, screw you. And uh, but I did. You know, But I was combative about it. I did not want to go through it. And uh, at some point, then they after going through that and then more like medical intense medical examinations, medical procedure, they took me and put me on a table and then put they put like black styrofoams around like walls, like a small wall around me. And I was told to sit very still that if I moved, I could cause permanent damage that I could mm-hmm. hurt, that you could hurt your back and be crippled. That's uh, even if you flinch. So I had to remain very still. And then they gave you drugs, uh, muscle, uh, 
not muscle relaxant, but muscle neutralizing drugs where you couldn't okay. move. Okay. And that went on for a long time, weeks, where every day they came and gave injections all over me, you know, like in your legs. Mm, and it was right. And then, so you get out of that, and then where where are you after so going after through this process? After a few of that, they mm. rolled me into a machine, and it felt like I got incinerated. It felt absolutely like I got burnt, uh, like in, a, in an oven. Like. Okay. And then I woke up. After that, I lost consciousness. And when I woke up, I was back in my 10-year-old body on the moon, and I had no memory Okay. Well, now, were your were your parents around and like the no, whole thing? No, no. I was in a lab. I was still in the same place. Okay. But I was back in time. All right. So then, where I was did back where, in that body? Okay. So where did they? And I forgive me. I don't mean to interrupt. I just want to make sure we get as much as possible. So then they. Uh, how did you get back to like you're ten years old? How did you get back home, if you will? Well, again, there was so after the point that I was back in my younger body and I had. That's why I say it makes sense that it was cloning because they had killed that clone off and those memories were gone, put my consciousness back in my original body and I had all those memories waiting for me. Mm-hmm. I had, all of a sudden I had memories of mom and dad again. Okay. And um, then you, were your mom and dad there and that was just no, like it was the next day or no, what? No, no. So, well, and then more procedures happened. There was actually a lot that happened there, but uh, if you want me to cut to the point where I woke up, basically... Yeah. Um, they knew I was going to remember, and they were going to do surgeries on me, but they couldn't find my records to sign off on, so they said, there's no record. We can't get in trouble for it. Just put it back. Okay. And then again, to the hypnotic state, and I woke up the next morning in my bed, back in my room, back, in 1980, back mm-hmm. in 1980. Mm-hmm. I looked over, and all my toys were laying on the floor, mm-hmm. and I was back to being a kid. And I got up, and I had that sensation like I had it. It literally felt like I hadn't been there in 20 years. Okay. It was no, that just- did you feel, Tony, when you woke up and you were 10, that you were really 10 again? Or did you feel like you were had been through something and you were physically 10, but you really weren't 10? Absolutely. I was completely changed. Uh, you know, I don't want to say, like, so I had the same memories. I had the same kind of thought processes. I didn't have knowledge of what I'd been through. Okay. But I had the emotional, the emotional uh, okay. baggage. All right. All right, so this guy's guys radio once again. Robert Manny, your host. We're here with Tony Rodriguez, who's a secret space program. We're getting into some details here. I'm not going to get in trouble for this. I'm not going to have reptilians chasing me around now, am I, Tony? I think the cat's out of the bag these days. <laughs> okay. Like the first time this has ever been said. I think a lot of people have come forward with this, so you're okay. safe. All right, thank you. So, and our listeners are safe too. So, uh, okay. So, when did you kind of? Uh, realize that you had been through something you said you were telling yourself for whatever reason i'm going to remember i'm going to remember and i guess you did remember at some point so how did that all come about okay so you know a few uh, not long after i mean so there was awkward there were things there were weird things that happened but i had never they had never erased the memory of waking up with the original gray in my face the moment that i was taken those memories never got erased those were always there i always remember that you know like and i couldn't figure out what happened after that how many people have you heard abduction stories? They say they had contact, they saw something, and then they don't remember what happened. Something happened, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. That feeling was always with me. I always knew something happened at that point. I, As I got into my teen years, I started to remember more. I always remember the house in Seattle and those. It was kind of like as it happened for the clone on the same timeline, I would I would also remember. The Got it. And then later on, after it was over, um, so exactly about, uh, it was 18, so there was a there was a time travel aspect that's complex, but 
after the 20 and back was over, in my real life, I woke up one day and kept saying to myself, and I didn't know why I said it, but I kept saying it's over. It's over. And I felt like a million bucks. I felt for the first time kind of like I had a head on my, my head on straight. Those years, those 20 years, I was, I had problems. I had emotional problems and I didn't know why. Sure. And, um, so those years, and I, I would always dream about things that I saw and then in the daytime remember them, but it didn't make any sense to me. They were okay. very powerful memories, but it didn't make any sense, so I just brushed them off and told myself they were dreams. Okay, so then when did uh, all of this aggregate to the point where you said uh, it all came together, like you started really having, I would assume you had some vivid memories and you now, because you're recounting everything now, when did that occur and what did you do, how did you feel and then what did you do about it? And how did you get to like where we are now? Sure. Um, so uh, every couple of years, I would poke my head up and do some research into UFOlogy, and I would look for something that I that would that would have remember that I would look for something that I remembered happening that would correlate with my. And I never found anything. You know, most of UFOlogy had nothing to do with what I had been through. Mm. And so every few, then I would go away for a few years, and I always had the memories. They would build upon, and I did, they just didn't make sense. And they weren't a dream because I could remember in the in the memory, I can remember getting up that day, brushing my teeth, going there on a train, doing my job, going back to my bed. And I remembered all of that. That's not a dream, you know, at that point. But I told myself, when could I have done this? Because mm-hmm. I had a chronological memory of my life living here in Michigan. I uh, So it was in April of 2015, I was having bad headaches. And I went to the doctor and she prescribed an MRI scan. And so I got an MRI scan of my head done. Mm-hmm. And about two weeks after that, I also coincidentally, I saw Randy Kramer's uh, inter- first interviews on exopolitics, and he explained the 20 in back tech, and I thought, that's what happened. It was okay. 20 years, and they put me back. There was, I said, they didn't take me for a night. It was 20 years. And when I, when I accepted that, and I thought, that happened, then the same way that you recall your birthday party when you were 15, Right. right now you can't think of it, but if somebody tells you a specific, then more memories will come. Mm-hmm. The same exact experience happened. Once I entertained and said, that was real, the rest of it came in big chunks, big years at a time, months at a time worth of memories would just like hit me. And that went on for, you know, three to six months where I was, I was getting huge recollection recall and I didn't have anybody to talk to about it. And, uh, so that was my next question. So what happened? Like, how did you, you had this to yourself and you're probably wondering, like, what do I do with this? Should I talk to anybody? It must have been some trepidation and fear. How did, how did it all come out then for you? I was really scared. Um, my wife at the time didn't believe in ETs. You know, if there were ETs, they'd be in the Bible kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so there was really nobody to talk to. And I really wanted counseling. I, I knew that this was something of magnitude that was going to derail my day to day. And I wanted to get some counseling and I knew Mm-hmm. Counseling was only going to end in medication that I didn't want. Right. That there was no uh, there was no uh, formal counseling that was equipped to deal with what I remembered with the amount of it. So I got on and I contacted some researchers, and uh, I was and then basically I was grilled for over a year, um, just questioned. And uh, in, in the beginning, the memories were very vague. There was a lot of things like I remembered a lot of it, but there there were a lot of memories that I didn't remember. Who were the, Tony, who were the researchers that you got? Were they military or was it? Uh... No, ufology, ufology. Okay, okay. So, and what happened was, um, back then there were other whistleblowers coming forward. And so a lot of the things that would have vindicated, vetted me easily, 
had already been said about the space program. Mm -hmm. So it's not like I came out and said, there's a train that transported me from Mars to Ceres. That had already been said by somebody else. So it was really hard to, um, what it was was the submarines. I was the first one to uh, remember the submarines that had been converted into spaceships, and I described the inside of it pretty good to the researcher, and that's what led him to keep working with me. What happened was, instead of, instead of getting, I wanted to talk to somebody else that had gone through it, just for the counseling factor. Instead of that, I was offered to do an interview, and I did, and then it's taken its own life since then. I've done did you uh, get any uh, type of, uh, because some of the other folks who've come out, uh, you know, they've been followed and they, they're in fear and they've had some issues. Uh, how, how about yourself? Did you get any warnings like you better not talk about this or that or whatever? Are you at liberty or do you feel comfortable talking about any of that stuff? I don't want to get you in trouble and I don't want to no, get no, anybody I, else in trouble, but just curiosity. I, I had an ET visit. I, mm-hmm. had, um, I had some military personnel contact me. And I had—I was taken and interrogated once, and then I've had been—I've had a lot of flybys. I've had the experience quite a bit of going out in my yard and looking up at the stars in the sky on a clear night, mm-hmm. and one of the stars just fly away. What did the ET say to you when you had the ET visitation? What was that all about? Okay, so this is a—you know—and this is something I really don't like talking about a lot. Uh, it was in the beginning, and it, okay. because it involves other people that. Well, I don't want to get you or anybody else in trouble. To make a long story short, um, it was a standing outside my door in the morning, right, when I was waking up, and it was a telepathic communication. And basically it asked me what, you know, by coming forward and speaking about my memories publicly, what was my intention? Mm-hmm. And my answer was, and when it, I was talking to him, it wasn't like me talking. It was, you know, it's... It, You're like higher consciousness? Like higher, exactly. And the communication felt like this. Instead, imagine if I were, you know, if I were talking to you and I said, "What, what did you do last month?" Mm-hmm. Right? You would rattle off, "Oh, there, there was a time I tried a new recipe. We went shopping. We did this. We did a trip." That's how fast the data would communicate. This communication was much different. When he asked, you know, kind of like, "What did you do last month?" The entire month mm-hmm. was instantly downloaded, like instantly there. Like he was taking years of data out of me as we. That was the form. The okay. telepathic communication was much more data than mm-hmm. we than we could talk. You know, it was years at a time, quickly. Mm-hmm. And I was being I was able to communicate back like that. And what I said was, look, it's wrong what they did to me and it's wrong what they did to her, and I'm gonna let people know. That's what I said back to him when he asked me what my intention was. And then he showed me the future. He showed me things um, and said that I was gonna um, I would be safe to talk about it. Until I got exhausted of it, until I was tired mm-hmm. of it. Okay. And then he left. All right. And there was a mushroom circle left in my lawn where wow. I was standing. There was a, I okay. took a picture of it. Uh, okay. Uh, two, about two days later, there was a circle of mushrooms that popped up. All right. Well, I only have, that's it's such a fascinating story. I, we could go on and on and on, but the, we're out of time. So what's the one thing that you want people to know about the whole secret space program and your experience? Well, I can tell you right now, they're going to have to disclose. They're going to disclose to us. The beginning of it is going to be a slower, watered-down version of what's really out there, I believe. That's me guessing. It's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. They're going to disclose, and just so you know, it's very advanced. The space programs out there are beyond what a Star Trek is. The universe is not small. There's not five or ten. There's not 900 species. There are billions of species out there at all different, billions of different levels of technological advancement and spiritual advancement. And that's what's really up there. That's what's up there. 
And so whatever they disclose is going to be an ends to a means to them finally being able to tell us that. And I expect them to lie to maintain an advantage. Sure. Okay. Um, last question, just a yes or no. Do you feel, based on all the stuff that's happened, are you a spiritual person? Yes. Okay, great. All right. Tony Rodriguez, I want to thank you so much for being on Guys Guys Radio. Maybe we can do it again. I had to squeeze a lot out of it, you today, and you were fantastic. So thank you so much. I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners learned a lot. Um, God bless you, and uh, stay safe. And uh, it's, it's, it's a pleasure talking to you. And uh, thank you for being so forthright and so articulate about your experience. And I really, when I saw you on Gaia, uh, I, I felt for you that, like, this guy's been through a lot. So all the best to you, my friend. Thank you. It's therapy to talk about it. It's a great opportunity. Thanks to everybody that's listening. Okay. I hope we gave you a safe, uh, uh, a safe uh, place here to talk. Tony Rodriguez, uh, Guys Guys Radio. Robert Manny's The Guys Guys Guide to Love is a fast-paced tale of flawed men and savvy women competing for love, sex, power, and money in the city where they play for keeps. It's the men's successor to Sex in the City. The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love is a sexy romp through the fast-moving, high-stakes world of Madison Avenue. Available now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. All right, Robert Manny here. We just had a series of interviews with Tony Rodriguez of the Secret Space Program that was mind-blowing. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, and I hope you keep an open mind about it. Uh, as Tony was saying, most of his information has already been out there, and you see it in dribs and drabs. Sometimes you see it in the back of a newspaper about, hey, they found something that looks like life on Mars, you know, before the sports section or whatever, tucked in the back, not on page one. And there's a lot going on that I think we would all agree that we probably don't know everything that's going on. So there's a lot of stuff happening out there that we're not aware of. So let's just all keep an open mind. And you make your own determination. You might say, that's a bunch of nonsense, what Tony had to talk about. And you might say, hey, wow, there are things going on. And eventually in our lifetime, we're probably going to meet some ETs and they're going to show up. So might not be a bad thing. Could be a really good thing. We'll see what's going on. Anyhow, Guys Guys Radio, we bring you it all. We bring you sex, the Supreme Court, and the Secret Space Program. So the show all began with my novel, which is the source material, The Guys Guys Guide to Love. You can pick up the novel on Amazon. It's about two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money in New York City, the city where they play for keeps. I started blogging a few years ago on my website, robertmanny, M-A-N-N-I dot com. There's over 300 blog posts there on everything about life, love, and the pursuit of happiness through the guys, guys filter, if you will. We began podcasting guys, guys radio a few years ago, and then we expanded onto KCAA every Wednesday evening. They replay the show also on Sunday afternoons at 2 p.m., but we're on Wednesday evenings, 8 p.m. Pacific time, 
FM, 10.50 AM. You can also download, stream, and listen whenever you want on Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Stitcher, TuneIn, Block Talk Radio, CastBox, KCAA, and RobertManny.com. If you want to support the show, all you need to do is listen, and if you can, pick up a copy of my novel, maybe rate, subscribe, or review the podcast version on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. That really helps. And spread the word. Guys, Guys Radio, we're here for you. I'm bringing you all the information I can to enrich your lives and get you thinking about other stuff because I know how busy everybody is making that money, taking care of their family, doing their thing. So Guys, Guys Radio, I thank you for listening. I hope that you'll be back with us next week. We're going to do something completely different as we do every week on Guys, Guys Radio. And until then, like I always like to say, Guys, Guys, finish first. It's Guys Guy Radio.